way she was treated during her last months on this earth is nothing short of horrific. And you decide she doesn't deserve an investigation? How can you close her case? Now on the news hour, a collective call for answers and renewed scrutiny in several high-profile Indigenous deaths. Plus... I would like to find somewhere in the UBC area, but unfortunately the rent is just so expensive. Move-in day for the thousands of students who managed to snag housing in an overheated rental market as countless others scramble and... It's, it's literally uh, put a third of the country underwater. So 33 million people have been displaced. The climate crisis in Pakistan hitting close to home. The calls from Canadians for increased aid as millions are caught in the throes of a catastrophic monsoon season. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with an emotional day honoring three young lives lost far too soon. The loved ones of two young women and a 13-year-old girl, all of them Indigenous and all of them found dead under tragic circumstances in Metro Vancouver, are renewing their calls for answers in their cases tonight. Amadagahi reports on the many questions that still remain. Led by the sound of drum and prayer, Dozens marched through Richmond's Shelter Island Marina and Boatyard Saturday, setting up a memorial in the name of Tatiana Harrison, a 20-year-old woman whose body was discovered on a boat in the dry dock here last May. A precious life was taken too soon. A life that was taken from us, she deserved so much more than this world was willing to offer her. Tatiana went missing in late March, last seen in the downtown east side. Police now believe she died from a toxic drug overdose before she was reported missing. Her family left with many questions for authority. She had money in the bank. How did she get here? Do you have any camera footage of her coming here by herself? Those gathered here to grieve also honoring the memory of 24-year-old Chelsea Poorman and 13-year-old Noelle Soup. These women were loved they were cherished, they're still part of us. They're not disappeared, they're not vanished, they're not forgotten, they're not going to be just a file somewhere. We're not gonna allow that to happen. Poorman was 24 when she went missing during a night out in September of 2020. Her body found last April by maintenance crews working on the property of a vacant multi-million dollar Vancouver home. Our women mean a lot to us especially in our cultures. They are looked on as life givers. The remains of Noelle Asoup were found inside a Vancouver SRO unit in early May after being missing for more than a year. As Global News has previously reported, that unit was assigned to a now-deceased man named Van Chung Pham, an accused rapist wanted Canada-wide by police. 13, she should be at the mall. She should be with her friends. She should be with her family. Three families now calling on authorities to pour more resources into cases of missing Indigenous women and girls. Families who are now living with the worst outcomes of what they fear can happen to other vulnerable young women. Imadagahi, Global News. 
Two people have been injured in a helicopter crash near Galliano Island. The Joint Rescue Coordination Center says the crash happened just after noon today on Parker Island, a short boat ride from Montague Harbor on Galliano. The chopper was apparently on a cliff and rolled into the ocean. There were four people on board. Two of them were injured and taken to Victoria General Hospital for treatment. The other two occupants are said to be fine. Victoria police are appealing for witnesses and surveillance footage after a suspicious fire caused extensive damage to a home early this morning. The flames erupted just after 4 o'clock this morning at a house in the 500 block of Sumas Street in the Burnside Gorge neighborhood. The home was fully involved when fire crews arrived. The residents were able to escape and Victoria police say they helped to evacuate nearby homes as well in case that fire spread. 17 firefighters battled the flames and managed to contain them to just the one home. I basically uh, woke up at 4 a.m. Um, I heard a lot of screaming and yelling outside, and when I looked out my window, um, there's a fire, and it started just right over there, and uh, immediately, you know, call 911, uh, get out of the house as fast as possible. It's just one of those houses that uh, lots of people come and go from, and uh, everybody around here is aware of what's happening there. And throughout all the commotion, um, I think some firemen opened our door, um, and as a result, our cat actually uh, ran out. So that's Nix. Um, if you guys happen to see Nix about in the Sumas area, we'd really appreciate it if you could perhaps call this number. While the fire department says one cat died as a result of the fire, the next door neighbor says their cat simply escaped during the chaos. The home sustained almost $250,000 in fire and water damage. And in Surrey, five people are displaced tonight after an early morning house fire in Newton. Just after 8 o'clock this morning, fire crews responded to thick smoke and flames coming from the back side of this home near 65th Avenue and 130th Street. It took more than two dozen firefighters to knock down this blaze, which caused extensive damage to the building where it broke out, as you can see, and also melted the siding on a neighboring property. Nobody was injured. The cause of this fire is under investigation. To the wildfire fight in this province now as September gets off to a busy start as the Squamish Lillooet Regional District issued an evacuation order today due to a wildfire that is burning out of control. The 200 hectare Downton Creek fire is burning in a remote area southwest of Lillooet. It's in the area of the Downton Creek Forest Service Road. Three campgrounds there have been evacuated along with a handful of recreational properties. Smoke is said to be visible in Lillooet. Nearby, the local First Nation has issued an evacuation alert due to another wildfire, the Seton Ridge fire. In the South Okanagan, crews are dealing with another wildfire that was sparked near the Karameas Creek wildfire. As Victoria Famia explains, this one was likely human-caused. Just after 4 p.m. Friday, the Blue Mountain wildfire sparked within the reserve boundary of the Penticton Indian Band, 13 kilometers south of Summerland prompting an evacuation alert for properties in the Shingle Creek area. The wind-driven fire quickly grew to 54 hectares overnight and is suspected to be human-caused. We will have 16 personnel on site as well as two helicopters and heavy equipment on throughout the day. Um, and then we did have personnel on it overnight as well who helped to 
utilize fire suppression tactics when we did see that decreased fire behavior throughout the night. Just 15 kilometers south of the Blue Mountain wildfire is the Karameas Creek wildfire. And last night, winds picked up in the Okanagan, causing little growth to that fire. But BC Wildfire Service says it's not much of a concern as it's still being considered held at just over 7,000 hectares. The growth in the smoke that we saw didn't actually breach the containment lines that were established, so it's still classified as being held. Um, we just saw growth within like that perimeter and some of the unburnt fuels that were still available and the wind just really picked up that so there was some candling in the area there. Cooler weather expected in the coming weeks should help suppress fire activity. However, strong winds could counteract the much needed relief. We definitely have seen a downturn in weather going forward, so there will be cooler temperatures, um, more humidity throughout the evening, so that's where we see that decreased activity. Um, but there's still potential for strong winds in the area, so there is a likely chance that you'll still see smoke coming from that fire for sure. The Karameas Creek wildfire still has 39 firefighters assigned to it, along with water tenders and two helicopters. And the cause of the Blue Mountain fire is still under investigation. Victoria Famia, Global News. Meanwhile, the BC Wildfire Service has now assigned an incident management team to deal with half a dozen wildfires in what is known as the Battleship Complex in the Prince George Fire Centre. Three of them are wildfires of note, which means they are threatening structures. The Battleship Mountain Fire west of Fort St. John has grown to 4,500 hectares in size, fanned by strong winds. And the Bearhole Lake Fire in northeast BC is also a wildfire of note. That fire east of Tumbler Ridge was sparked on Wednesday and has since grown to roughly 1,600 hectares in size. Strong winds and high temperatures have hampered firefighting efforts there too. All six of those fires in the battleship complex, including Bearhole Lake, were sparked by lightning. Well, timing is everything, and earlier this week, the B.C. Wildfire Service lifted the campfire ban in parts of the province. But since then, several municipal governments have implemented their own bans. And as Jaden Wozni reports, that's creating some confusion. After Wednesday's announcement that campfires in the Kamloops Fire Centre were given the green light ahead of the Labor Day long weekend, the RDCO, Enderbyan District, City of Armstrong, City of Vernon, District of Coldstream, Splatson and the Village of Lumbee all announced they would be extending their municipal campfire bans. I don't know exactly the thought process that goes in for those districts, but they might look at their specific area and feel like they still want to keep theirs on, which is why they have that necessary room to still enforce them if they wish. In the South Okanagan, the regional district is allowing campfires, but users are asked to exercise caution and to check in with other local government websites to see if a ban has since been added in their area. The city of Penticton has lifted its campfire ban, as well as the district of Summerland. Just still be cautious, and even with that ban coming off, all the same practices still apply, so don't abandon your campfires. And if you are out and enjoying the weather and you see a wildfire, please report it. While the RDCO's campfire ban doesn't include places like Bear Creek Provincial Park, some campers say they were still confused about it when they arrived. We had to double check here, well, yesterday, Friday afternoon, at noon, we went to the gatehouse just to verify, are we allowed to have fires now? And they said certainly, and they were putting up signs they're selling the firewood. While other campers were just glad to have a fire for what is likely one final time this summer. To be able to just sit and roast a marshmallow and a you know, hot dog or something, it's just, that's camping. And if everyone could just play it safe so that we can continue to do this, that's, that's all it's all about. 
Those caught violating the campfire ban could be fined or charged the cost of the fire department's response to the burning complaint. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. To the health care crisis in this province now as another emergency room in B.C. temporarily closes its doors. Interior Health says the ER at the hospital in Ashcroft will be closed for the entire weekend due to a shortage of nursing staff. The hospital's emergency department is typically only open on Friday evenings from 5 to 10 and on weekends from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night. But this weekend, its doors will be closed. That means anybody in need of emergency care will have to trek to Royal Inland Hospital in Kamloops, about an hour's drive away. And in Clearwater, the ER at Dr. Helmkin Memorial Hospital will be closed from 6 o'clock tonight until 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Interior Health saying 24-hour service will resume on Sunday. Patients needing emergency help are advised to go to Kamloops as well or 100 Mile House in the meantime. Coming up, it is moving day for the lucky ones. So basically, it's a, it's a shared bedroom with a roommate's. The student housing crunch hits a fever pitch with countless young people moving into cramped quarters. That is, if they can find any. Plus, no one to keep watch. The lifeguard shortage hits one of Vancouver's most popular beaches this long weekend, where swimmers are unsupervised. That's after the break. Welcome back. Well, it is move-in weekend for thousands of post-secondary students across the province. And with the start of classes just around the corner, it's time to get settled in. That is, if you can find somewhere to settle into. Finding affordable student housing in the midst of a housing crisis is becoming more of a luck of the draw these days. And as Travis Prasad explains, some are having to rent out what many would consider to be unacceptable living conditions. Plenty of suitcases sleeping essentials, and of course, the ultimate distraction from studying. It's move-in day at Simon Fraser University. We've got students, um, over approximately 1,400 students moving in today, along with their family and friends who are here to help them with that transition and welcome them to our residence on campus community here today. At UBC, first-year students are also moving into their homes away from home. Super excited for the classes, to meet my friends, everybody. I'm so happy that my daughter is here and she came for the first day, campus in UBC. We are blessed. But not everyone has been so fortunate. With limited rental supply across Metro Vancouver, many students are still trying to find housing days before the school year begins. I pretty much sent out about 60 to 70 messages on uh, different type of Facebook groups. UBC engineering student Joshua Yang just signed a lease on a bedroom in a house on Vancouver's west side. His room looks spacey enough, but there's a catch. He shares it with a roommate. It's $900 and I'm okay with that. Ideally, Yang would be living on campus. I basically apply for what they call year-round uh, year housing every year. <laughs> Um, but we have a lot of students. I didn't really have a lot of hope. Our wait list right now, as we move into the academic year, is about 5,000 students that would want to live in, in residence if we had space. It's the largest wait list UBC has ever seen. 3,500 beds are being added in the coming years, but demand continues to outpace supply. They want to be proximal to UBC and affordable. It's very, very difficult to find that combination right now. So they're looking to us to find, you know, for, for their accommodations. It means an exciting new chapter begins. I think making new friends and just the university experience in general. Only for those lucky enough to find a place to stay. It was very competitive. Travis Prasad, Global News.
Vancouver's popular Sunset Beach is once again without a lifeguard on this Saturday of a long weekend. Due to staffing challenges, the park board says Sunset Beach will not have a designated lifeguarded zone. Signage is up instead, reminding beachgoers of the dangers of unsupervised swimming. English Bay is the closest beach with a lifeguard at this point. Last month, Sunset Beach was also without a lifeguard on BC Day. In a tweet, the park board's general manager says they are focused on improving the situation and that, quote, Nobody feels good about these shortages. Coming up, the calls for Canadian aid in Pakistan. It's a humanitarian catastrophe. It's uh, very important to get the help uh, that they need. The climate crisis on another continent, leaving tens of millions displaced, and the impact here. Plus. Think it can't happen here? Well, think again. The increase in monstrous monsoons right around the world and what's behind it. That's after the break. There are growing calls from Canadians tonight to provide relief to those living through the unfolding humanitarian crisis in Pakistan. Unprecedented storms in the region this summer have caused widespread flooding, claiming the lives of more than 1,200 people and counting. And with tens of millions of people already displaced, British Columbians are adding their voices to a chorus of calls for urgent aid. Paul Johnson reports. If you want to get your head around the scope of the disaster that's engulfed Pakistan, consider that the area flooded is home to 33 million people, not far off Canada's entire population. It's a humanitarian catastrophe. It's uh, very important to get the help uh, that they need. Surrey-based Harun Khan is the director of the Pakistan-Canada Association. They've been around since the early 60s and are well positioned to steer money and materials to the flooded regions. The list of what's needed is long. Here's what's most immediate. Medicine, uh, water, <laughs> you know, it's pretty basic. Mega floods like these bring an immediate crisis for drinking water. Contaminants end up polluting water sources and triggering outbreaks of disease. Babies, small children and the elderly are typically most at risk. Things like cholera, typhoid, E. coli infections. And these, these can be devastating, especially when so many people are exposed in such a short period of time. Next on the priority list will be food and shelter. The worst part of the flooding happened in Pakistan's south, in Sindh province, a major agricultural producer that's now likely lost a staggering amount of crops and livestock. After getting hit by double the amount of rain they'd typically see, Pakistan's monster monsoon was exacerbated by runoff from melting glaciers, likely caused by climate change. Recovery will take months and years. But for now, Khan says the best thing British Columbians can do to help is be generous and open their wallets. You can make donations right now uh, via our website at www.pakcanbc.com. Paul Johnson, Global News. And that crisis may be unfolding half a world away, but as Kamyar Razavi explains, experts say dangerous weather extremes are happening everywhere right now. It's no exaggeration to say that the flooding in Pakistan this week has been unprecedented. 33 million people are affected, and at least 6 million are in need of humanitarian assistance. But if you think what happened in Pakistan can't happen closer to home, think again. That was the UN Secretary General's ominous warning. Today, 
it is Pakistan. Tomorrow, it could be your country. Well, it's kind of crass, but uh, when I see pictures like that, it's like, well, we told you so. Jennifer Francis is among the 97% of the world's scientists who are warning of the dangers of human-caused climate change. These extremely heavy precipitation events are much more frequent, um, and they're happening really all over the world now. That's because as the planet warms, more water off the oceans and also off land is being released into the atmosphere. It acts like another greenhouse gas, literally juicing storms and making them more powerful. So as the planet warms up, the water, water, the capacity of the atmosphere to hold water vapor is going to go up. And that is basically uh, you know, leading to events like this. There were the storms that pounded Germany last year, the atmospheric rivers that drenched BC last fall, and Hurricane Harvey that stalled over Houston in 2017. And that's to say nothing of more heat waves. Experts fear climate change means that weather extremes like the one Pakistan is experiencing will only get worse. We expect that the whole monsoon system, like the whole monsoon circulation, South Asian monsoon circulation, would intensify. Fueling the need to be better prepared for a changing and more dangerous world. Kamiar Razavi, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, some packaged enoki mushrooms sold across the country, including here in B.C., are being recalled because they may be contaminated with listeria. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency is recalling the 150-gram packages of WK produce enoki mushrooms in B.C., Alberta, and Ontario due to listeria concerns. If you bought these mushrooms, throw them out or return them to where they were purchased. The good news is so far there have been no reported illnesses linked to the product. Coming up, the end of an era for one of the most exceptional athletes of our time. Just thank everyone that's here, that's been on my side so many years, decades. Serena Williams' remarkable career on the court draws to a close. That's after the break. Stay with us. One of the country's largest Japanese festivals is celebrating in Burnaby this weekend. Michael Newman is there. Here on the ground at the Nikkei National Museum and Cultural Center for Nikkei Matsuri. It's the two-day annual celebration of Japanese culture and art. Take a look. The day started with the carrying of the makoshi, a traditional ceremony found in matsuris or festivals throughout Japan. The tradition is that the deity goes into the mikoshi, is carried around the event um, in order to bless the entire festival. And so many may not know that that deity is riding around inside the mikoshi as they parade. Throughout the day, people from the Japanese community and beyond came for the authentic Japanese street food vendors, cooking up specialty dishes like takoyaki, okonomiyaki, and more. What, what is it called in Japanese? Rice burger? Rice burger. No translation. No translation. You could also find visitors inside enjoying a wide array of community groups demonstrating traditional Japanese arts like judo and aikido. And with games for the kids and vendors selling unique offerings usually only found in Japan, this annual event is one that unites the community, bringing multiple generations together to continue cultural traditions. Because of the COVID, many people uh, couldn't go back to Japan for three years or so. But come here and you can enjoy and you feel Japan and spirit of the festival. 
So yeah, a very important event for the Japanese Canadian community, but also a very inclusive event that invites folks from all walks of life to come to learn and appreciate the rich culture of Japan. Michael Newman reporting from Nikki Matsuri. Okay, Michael's in the sun there. Yvonne Shell is here. But Yvonne, it's feeling like September today in some parts of Metro Vancouver. Yeah, it was a touch cooler, so mm -hmm. we had that change in the air. We have had a bit of a breeze, especially for areas that are closer to the water. We've got a blip in the forecast for tomorrow. We're tracking some rainfall, have the timeline and what we can anticipate. We're sitting at 22 right now. We've managed to see some breaks. It was a nice clearing through the afternoon. We've got a southeasterly wind at 24 kilometers per hour. Now, a few other spots across the province today. So a touch cooler. Lytton yesterday was soaring closer to 40 degrees today up to 31 and still into the low 30s for much of the southern interior. Now the plan as we get in through the day tomorrow, we're still tracking that rainfall along the north and central coast. It's been heavy, but by tomorrow morning, we've got that increase in cloud cover, a chance for some showers picks up in the morning and hopefully tapers off as we get in towards the afternoon with just a few isolated showers towards the evening. Area of concern as we get in towards the afternoon will be for the central interior. We're looking at the potential chance for some showers and the risk of thunderstorms, lightning a big concern across the region and we're still tracking smoke forecast. Widespread smoke for the southeastern corners of the province continuing and a smoky skies bulletin has been issued for much of the province, even extending in towards the northeastern corners, the central and southern half. We will be seeing that potential for all areas in gray being impacted potentially by the smoke over the next 24 and 48 hours. So please a heads up, especially those with respiratory issues and the high, uh, fire danger ratings sitting at high and a few spots still sitting at extreme. The risk of lightning and the potential for thunderstorms along the north coast the central interior. It'll still be a warm one for much of the southern half through the day tomorrow with hazy conditions. Widespread smoke will be into the upper 20s. Whistler tomorrow will be tracking periods of rain, temperatures up to 17 and most areas along the south coast will see that potential for some showers, light rainfall beginning in the morning, tapering off towards the afternoon. Rebounds though, latter half of our long weekend Monday. We're actually back into some sunshine and so far for back to work and school on Tuesday. A dry one with that sunshine and highs up to 21. Sarah? All right. Thank you. Serena Williams has played what is likely her last professional match, and she did not go quietly. The 23-time Grand Slam champion was defeated in the third round of the U.S. Open after a grueling three-hour game. Kamal Kermali now with the highlights of a game-changing career. The end of a dream run at the U.S. Open leading to the end of an era. It's been on my side so many years, decades, oh my gosh, literally decades. After 23 Grand Slam singles titles, the most by any player in the open era, Serena Williams hung up her racket for good Friday. And the tributes came pouring in from the king of the basketball court. It's unprecedented and um, it's been an honor to watch your journey to women's tennis legend Billie Jean King. Her incredible career made its mark on tennis history. To a new generation hoping to follow in her footsteps, it's because of you I believe in this dream. Former U.S. First Lady Michelle Obama also tweeting, how lucky were we to be able to watch a young girl from Compton grow up to become one of the greatest athletes of all time. Serena's impact on Canadian soil undeniable, winning the Canadian title three times, the last one happening in 2013. Still the last American woman to win in Canada. She's played our tournament for over 20 years and I see all the young kids that she influences. Here we go. 
for young Canadians, watching her win also meant watching the game change. More diversity and inclusion on the tennis court. I just looked up to her all the time. She, like being a woman of color, I don't think she's leaving a hole. I think she's leaving a, like, a legacy. Canadian teens who weren't even born when Williams won her first Grand Slam title, now hoping to learn from that legacy. Even when she stops now, I feel like she's going to keep inspiring generations to come. For her to come from absolutely nothing and to achieve the success that she has is uh, very inspiring. When you see a black athlete like Serena Williams ascend to the top of their sport, and not only ascend to the top, but be one of the best ever to compete in that sport, that is absolutely an inspiration for people from all different walks of life. Now the 40-year-old plans to grow her family and her other business ventures, building a different legacy off the court. Kamal Karamali, Global News. What a legacy and what a privilege to watch her play in our lifetimes. Yeah, thank you, Serena. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. And Barry DeLay, thanks for joining yeah. us as well. Yeah, amazing longevity. She started mm -hmm. in uh, 99, so what is that? 23 years at the top, that's hard to do uh, for a few years, uh, never mind that long. So, yeah, you're right, what a legacy she's left. Uh, some Canadian content still left at the U.S. Open. Denis Shapovalov played a third-round match, epic five-setter, classic U.S. Open stuff, so we'll have some of that. And uh, it's uh, hockey season, of course, all year round here, and uh, Canada's women into the gold medal game at the World Championships highlights of their semifinal win as well. Oh, looking forward to it. We'll see you both in just a few minutes. But coming up, mission aborted again. The out-of-this-world launch to the moon scrummed for a second time this Saturday. We'll tell you why. That's after the break. Stay with us. For the second time this week, NASA scrubbed the launch of the Artemis 1 today, setting technical issues. Phil Carpenter reports on the aborted mission. To most people watching, it seemed that all systems were a go for Saturday afternoon's launch of NASA's most powerful rocket ever for the Artemis 1 test flight. Then just after 11 a.m. Eastern Time, the call was made. NASA waved off the Artemis 1 launch attempt after teams encountered a liquid hydrogen leak. A similar problem Monday helped force engineers to scrub the launch of the moon rocket then too. A launch party planned for Saturday at the Canadian Space Agency in St. Hubert, just like the one Monday, was cancelled. Saturday's launch at a two-hour launch window between 2.17 and 4.17 p.m. We do not launch until we think it's right. NASA's plan is for a test flight around the moon. If the six-week test flight is successful, then astronauts would then make the next trip, Artemis II, with a plan to land on the moon in 2025 or 2026. The last time a person walked on the moon was 50 years ago when Canadian astronaut David St. Jacques was only two years old. I was a bit too young to see an Apollo mission, but I remember the silly influenced me. I'm part of what we call the Apollo generation. He or one of three other Canadian astronauts will go to the moon on Artemis II. The purpose of the Artemis program is to have people stay on the lunar surface. To do science long term, maybe do some mining, we'll have a base on the moon, we'll have a space station around the moon. Canada's gonna contribute a smart robotic system there, Canada Arm 3. The eventual plan is to get to Mars. NASA, NASA officials say though Saturday's cancelled flight is disappointing, it was the right call and is part of the test process. Because we're gonna stress this and test it uh, and test that heat shield uh, and make sure it's right before we put four humans up on the top of it. 
NASA says it could be several weeks before the next launch attempt. Phil Carpenter, Global News, Montreal. Coming up, giving and learning. We'll find ways to educate um, our friends and family back home. Meet the athletes helping local flood victims rebuild while building some important relationships of their own. That's in just a few minutes. Stay with us. Join Global BC, 980 CKNW, and Rock 101 in supporting Recovery Day. Join thousands on September 10th to raise awareness, reduce stigma while connecting with healthcare service providers, enjoying family fun, and listening to great music including Tom Cochran, Snotty Nose Res Kids, and more. Head to the Western Bayshore Hotel for a Night to Dream Gala on September 17th. Be there for an amazing night all to support the families served by the Ronald McDonald House BC and Yukon. rmhbc.ca slash events for more details. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Welcome back. Birdley is here with some... Hockey, look mm, ahead. You know, nice. it's September when? Yeah, or August mm. or July. The way That's it's right. been this year with all the summer tournaments. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Canucks play their first preseason game three weeks from tomorrow. So the NHL season is coming fast, but the Women's World Hockey Champion will be decided tomorrow. It'll be Canada versus the USA for the 20th time in 21 championship games since this tournament began in 1990. Both teams won their semifinals handily today in Denmark to set up another gold medal showdown between these two bitter rivals. Canada taking on Switzerland in the semis after the USA routed Czechia 10-1 in the first semi. Already 1-0 in the first. Emma Malte with a nice setup for Jesse Eldridge who hammers home the one-timer. 2-0 Canada after one. Second period, Jocelyn LaRock aggressive to the net. Shovels it to Brianne Jenner. Quick backhander finds the top shelf, 3-0 Canada. They led 4-1 after two. Third period, Aldergrove's Sarah Potomac with a great heads-up feed to the captain, Marie-Philippe Poulain, for the easy tap-in, 5-1 Canada. Potomac has really stepped up the past couple of games. Canada outshot the Swiss 56-6. They actually scored more goals than they gave up shots. Emily Clark with the eighth and final Canadian goal, 8 won the final. Canada and the U.S. for gold again, 10.30 a.m. our time tomorrow. It's been a pretty good run for Canadians at the U.S. Open. Five made it through to the second round, three to the third round. But the guy who is in the worst form of all of them entering the tournament, Denis Shapovalov, was the last Canadian standing in singles today. Shapo looking to move into the final 16, but would have to get past the ninth-seeded uh, Russian Andrei Rublev. These two had split their previous four meetings, and it was another tight match today on the grandstand court. Rublev won the opening set, but Shapovalov answers in the second, loads up that pretty one-handed backhand. Very stylish, very Federer-like, sizzles the winner. Shapo took the set 6-2. Third set went to a tiebreaker, and Shapovalov on his first set point converts. This time, the clean winner off the forehand side. Shapovalov up two sets to one. Plenty of Canadian fans cheering him on in New York today. Fourth set, Shapovalov had a number of chances to break, but just could not pull it off. He had 17 breakpoint chances today, won only four of them. Rublev takes, the, takes it to a fourth set, will go to the distance. Fifth set, Shapo facing match point, and these two were slugging it out with the match on the line, and Shapovalov will load up the forehand. He would break Rublev to keep this 
epic match going, a fantastic atmosphere, classic U.S. Open stuff. In the tie break, Shapovalov lost the first three points, but won the next three, including this inside-out forehand. But Rublev would take control, and this is the fifth match point facing Shapovalov, and the magic finally runs out for Dennis. Rublev, big forehand. Dennis' return is out, and four hours, eight minutes later, that's it. Rublev moves on. Shapo is out. No Canadians left in singles. Leila Annie Fernandez lost her second-round women's doubles match, but she's still alive in the mixed doubles. The Whitecaps are down to their final six games and likely need to win five of them to sneak into the MLS playoffs. Whitecaps are on the road in San Jose tomorrow night to take on the last place Earthquakes. Whitecaps are coming off an abysmal home effort last Saturday when they were rolled 3-0 by Nashville at BC Place. But they have to use that as motivation to prove they can at least give this thing an honest attempt and show they won't quit. I would say that uh, we don't have to speak about the playoff now. We don't have to speak about the final standings. We have to speak only game by game. And uh, thinking that uh, winning a game, it gave us an additional game, a real game. Uh, our objective at the moment is not to transform the last game like in friendly game. We need to we need to win games in order to be there in the mix. And instead of looking at the, the team we're playing against, I think we got to look within ourselves. Uh, the pride within ourselves. We got to play with our heart, play with passion, play as a team. And uh, if we do those things, if we stick to our game plan, hopefully that'll be enough to get us a result. English Premiership today, Aston Villa taking on the defending champs, Manchester City. City get on the board second half. Kevin De Bruyne with yet more sensational service, and no one can stop the big Norwegian, Erling Holland. That's his 10th EPL goal already in just game six. He leads the league, one no man City, but Aston Villa equalized. Jacob Ramsey, fantastic play to set up Leon Bailey, who cracks it into the back of the old onion bag. Aston Villa hold Man City to a one-all draw. And one more, Spurs and Fulham. Tottenham was up a goal at the half and they will get some insurance from Harry Kane, the beneficiary of some friendly bounces off Fulham defenders. They reviewed that for offside, but it's a good goal. Kane's fifth of the season, 2-1 Spurs. They are tied second with Man City, a point behind Arsenal, who play Manchester United tomorrow. Canadian women down under for a two-match friendly series against next year's Women's World Cup host Australia. Christine Sinclair, career appearance number 316, ties her with American Carly Lloyd for second on the all-time appearance list. Early in the match, Chilliwack's Jordan Heidema tees it up for Adriana Leon, who settles it and fires it to the top corner. That is a beautiful strike for Canada in the 12th minute, the only goal of the match. 1-0 Canada the final. The same two teams meet again Tuesday in Australia. Baseball tonight, Blue Jays in Pittsburgh taking on the Pirates, but plenty of Jays fans in the stands. Only about a five-hour drive from Toronto. Not much to cheer about until the seventh. Bases loaded for Bo Bichette. Rips the 3-2 pitch down the line in left. That is going to clear the bases. Springer, Vladdy, Matt Chapman all score. Three-run double for Bo. Jays take a 4-1 lead. That was Bo with the bat. How about Bo with the glove in the shift? Has to go to his right. Throws against the body. That is a major league play. What a play by Bo Bichette. And the Blue Jays lead it right now. 4-1 in the eighth and the Mariners in the wild card race right along with the Jays at Cleveland tonight fifth inning already two nothing Seattle Cal Raleigh with the base hit to right will score a run Mariners added another and they lead right now four nothing in the seventh. 
Adam Hadwin's PGA season came to an end at the BMW Championship a few weeks back. Now we wait and see if Hadwin is a captain's pick for the President's Cup. International captain Trevor Immelman has chatted with Hadwin. Should find out next week. Adam was in town on Thursday hosting his charity classic, raised just under $165,000 for Child, the Foundation for Children with Intestinal and Liver Disorders. Hadwin, a fixture on the PGA Tour, and that's where he'll be seeing him for years to come. Up at 18, Adam Hadwin for birdie. Another PGA Tour season is in the book for Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin. You know, I don't think we're ever satisfied as golfers. We're always chasing something more. Um, the year ended sort of on a, a bit of an average note. I was in a good position going into the playoffs to get to Eastlake in the Tour Championship, and I just, I just didn't play well. Despite not finishing the way he would have liked, he still earned $2.5 million this season, his second highest total since going pro in 2009. But that lucrative campaign still pales in comparison to the offers being made by the new Live Golf Tour. So would he ever consider making the move to the other side? It's very easy for me to sit on the sidelines and say no. Um, but like that's why I say I don't, I don't fault anybody for going over. I mean, you have an eight, nine-figure check sitting in front of you. It's, it's hard not to at least give it a thought. No Canadian has joined Live yet, but the commotion caused by the new tour is hard to block out, even for an experienced PGA Tour pro. Um, obviously, it has disrupted what we've been, you know, what the normal has been for a while. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of noise going on. Obviously, something that hasn't affected me personally, um, but a you know, a very interested bystander of how this is all going to play out. Hadwin does get to benefit from some of the top players in the world crossing over to live. He's no longer having to battle with them to make the cut or climb the leaderboard. Through 26 events this season, Hadwin has achieved a career best five top 10 finishes. Very happy with the tour. Um, I still believe that it's, it's the best place to play. I still believe that that's the best proving ground for you know, myself to, to challenge myself against the, the world's best. And... Um, you know, some changes have obviously come to the tour and, and players are pushing, so we'll see what ends up playing out in the next year or two. Speaking of Live Golf, fifth and final event of the year from Boston, Ozzy Cam Smith making his Live debut. They signed him for $100 million. This is for Eagle on the 18th. Smith drains it. He is tied eighth at one under through 36 holes. Everyone is chasing Taylor Gooch. He will sink the long birdie putt at the 17th. He's at 12 under, one shot lead on Joaquin Neiman, and two better than Dustin Johnson. Final round tomorrow in Boston. First place check is $4 million in a 48-man field. Pretty Some cool. light change. Some light cash. Thanks so much, Barry. Okay. Stay with us. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back. Well, more than nine months after devastating flooding ran through Merritt, a group of athletes from Ontario is helping the Nicola Valley rebuild in a meaningful partnership. Here's the story from CFJC News. This was Dana Charter's basement after November flooding in Merritt. Months later, insurance determined it would not cover the damage from the flood. However, thanks to the generosity of hockey players from the University of Windsor, the First Nations Emergency Services Society and Unifor, the basement and entire property is close to being finished. We've replaced the fencing that was washed away by the flooding. The, the homeowner's basement was gutted, cleaned up, and we came in and uh, drywalled, insulated, put vapor barrier up. We're completing her basement, getting her back, getting her family moved back in here. 
Many fellow Unifor representatives volunteer their time every year to give back to projects like these. This year, Merritt is their destination, leading the renovation with the help of the Windsor Lancer hockey team. Well, it's been uh, kind of a multi-facet multi uh, projects, but yeah, we're happy to be doing it. The rebuild at Shacken will be many years down, you know, for things to happen and recover. But having, having uh, a team, a whole hockey team come and show up and have 25 guys out on uh, and doing a fencing corral project, that would have taken a month uh, if we did it, uh, you know, as a, as a family, to have it done in just a couple of days was, was just amazing to watch. But this isn't the first time the Windsor hockey team has stepped into action. The program has been to places like New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina to help families there. Last November, head coach Kevin Hamlin was in Merritt watching his son play for the Coquitlam Express. Days later, the city was being evacuated due to flooding. He knew his team had to come back and help. I want people to know that uh, you know, there's, there's people around the country that truly do care ab about what's going on here. And, and, and we want, if for a very short time, to offer some kind of relief to this community. The trip, though, is more than the players using their brawn to help. It's also about building relationships with the local First Nations and learning about places like the Kamloops Indian Residential School that they visited last weekend. We'll find ways to educate um, our friends and family back home and every day and we hear things um, against Indigenous people, we'll be able to stand up and we have learned a lot. As part of that relationship building, the Lancers have been hosting a group of aspiring Indigenous hockey players at a camp this week. Chad Klassen, CFJC News. To pay it forward. And Yvonne, let's look at weather before we go tonight. Change on the way for tomorrow. We're tracking a rainfall. It'll pick up late morning, taper off in towards the afternoon, and then rebound back into some sunshine for a Monday so far. Okay, sounds good. That's all for us tonight. Thanks for spending your Saturday with us. Krista Dow is here at 11. We'll see you right back here tomorrow at 6. Good night.